If you found that, would you join me in a word of prayer this morning? Word of prayer. Father, it is in the name of Jesus that we even have an audience with you. So, Lord, right now, may every Christian in this room and who may hear this later, Lord, may we even envision the truth that we are in Christ at your right hand. So, not only are you all around us, but particularly, Lord, you are to our left. And so, Lord, as we are in Christ, we turn and we face you with all other believers in Christ. And through him, we make petitions. And so, Lord, my request this morning is that we would not miss a special manifestation of your presence in our midst in every part of the service because we didn't ask. Lord, don't let it be because we didn't ask. Lord, do not let any of your people walk out the door in a little while having missed it because they didn't specifically ask. And so, Lord, may we all join right now face-to-face with you and say, Lord, would you speak directly to me and to us today? But, Lord, may we not miss a special manifestation of your presence in our midst because we asked wrongly and selfishly as though we are the goal and the end of worship. Lord, the one who least qualifies for this text is burdened with speaking on it this morning. And you know that I'm not faking humility. Lord, I come up the least in this passage. And so, Lord, I feel very inadequate, out of my element. But, Lord, I pray that your word coupled with your spirit will keep doing what you've promised to do and Lord that I'll not be the same a week from now and a month from now and 50 years from now because you guarantee sanctification Lord the best among us in this area needs a complete heart makeover Lord we need an extreme heart makeover because we all miss the mark on our text today So, Lord, my request is this. If you were ever going to mold Graceview Church into a passage of Scripture, let it be this one, this one, this section that we're in. So, Lord, just use your word in spite of my inability today. Align us, change us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. One of the things I've determined is like you guys... I find myself often impressed with very talented people, gifted people. Man, they really impress me. But I'm going to tell you, Jeff, who do you admire the most? Jeff, what kind of person do you have the most adoration for, the most admiration for? I'll go ahead and tell you, and I mean this. I've thought about it, and I think I'm safe here. Here's the people I admire the most, and it's the people who love the most. Those people, I admire them I'll tell you, the people, and I go to a lot of funerals, I've been in a lot of funerals, been part of a lot of funerals, I love the people that the whole theme that dominates their funeral is how much they loved and how widely and how deeply, and they may not have achieved the most, and they may not have been the most gifted or talented, but that just really dominates. Uh, John, I remember your son, I was at his funeral in Charlotte. Never knew him, uh, really never knew him, but just the whole thing was just kind of one theme. Dad or brother or whatever he was to people, was just he just loved. i got to tell you, man, that, that's something to shoot for, and I've got a long way to go. We're in Romans 13, so we've had 11 chapters of theology, and we hit chapter 12, and man, there was a real switch, and we're starting to have all these applications of all of this theology, but the application has really been one thing, and it's this. Love, 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 our love, love for God, love for people. It's been in every section. You say, well, last week, Jeff, you preached on the government. It wasn't really in there. It was actually in there, just a little more veiled. Our text this morning is going to be verses 8 through 10, but I want to kind of, for context purposes, back up to verse 7. So let's read our text. Guys, what we're about to read is the Scriptures, the words of God. It's not Jeff talking. It's not just Paul writing to some Romans who are Christians 
This is God's word to you this morning. Hear it that way, verse 7. Pay. You're like, oh yeah, I remember that last week. We're talking about the government. That's right. Yeah, it's coming back to me. Grace view. Pay to all. So what are you talking about? Yeah, money. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes. Pay taxes. Pay taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenues. We've got all kinds of taxes. Taxes on income. Taxes on people. Taxes on good. Taxes on tariffs. Import, export. You name it. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Pay. Respect. To whom respect is owed. Honor. To whom honor is owed. How are you on paying your debts? Pay your debts. Well, there were no chapter and verse divisions when this was written. We have them now. We're in what we call chapter 13. We're getting ready to move to verse 8. But this just keeps on flowing. And obviously, we're hitting a little different paragraph. But it ties back. Look at the first four words. Owe no one anything except to love each other. Owe no one anything except to love each other for the one who loves another. Guys, what, have you ever seen that? One who really loves another? What do you have when you find that? He says, for the one who loves another has fulfilled. Past tense. When they're loving, they have fulfilled the law. For the commandments, and he kind of bears that out. For the commandments, gives us a list. Sample list, not a complete the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. Grace view, do not commit adultery. Don't commit adultery. You're in a marriage vow, don't break it. You shall not murder. Please don't go around killing people. Okay, please don't do that. You shall not steal. On oh, the tough one, you shall not covet. And then he says, in any other commandment, are summed up in this word. So we have four, here's the fifth. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Here's these commandments. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Some interpret that as, right, this is a twofold command. I'm supposed to love my neighbor and I'm supposed to love myself. Please, you know better than that, right? You know it's not saying, hey, don't forget, love yourself. No, that's assumed. That's very evident. You already love yourself. Love others as like you love yourself. Very plain language in our text. In verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. This morning we usually have three points. It seems like I gravitate toward three. Today we have four. Three of them come out of our text. The fourth one we'll have to go back a little bit in Romans to find it but it needs to be brought in this morning. Would you write the first one down if you're keeping notes? Very obviously from the text, number one, love is a debt we owe. Love is a debt we owe. Verse number eight, first four words. Got to deal with this before we can really get into our text because we can't just skip over it. What does this mean? Owe no one anything, and then he says except to love each other. Owe no one anything. Now, this is not the message. This is a little, you know, so we don't skip it. Jeff, what does this mean? I'm going to tell you what some people believe when they read these four verses. By the way, you may read this, and this may be your conclusion, and that is wonderful and fine. You'll probably stay out of trouble a lot more than the rest of us. You say, Jeff, how do some people interpret this? You may go home, study it out, tie it back to verse number 7, and say, I know what this means. We are not supposed to, we're not supposed to borrow money. The text is simply saying, verse 7, pay this, pay that. It's talking about money, but it gets to verse number 8. Owe no one anything. Don't borrow money. Don't owe it to anyone, anything. No one, no thing. Don't borrow money. If you can't afford it at the time, then don't get it. If you can't pay it in full, don't get it. And I know where you guys are thinking, Jeff, hold on. This is 21st century America. You can't have a car or a house. Right, some people don't. They will rent or do without. You say, seriously, some Christians have taken that stance? Yes, many Christians have taken that stance. This passage forbids us. You say, Jeff, is that your stance? I don't think that that's what this text is talking about. I'll give you a couple of reasons. One is the Old Testament not only talks about lending and borrowing, but I think it kind of condones it because it regulates interest. The Jews 
were allowed to lend and they were allowed to borrow, but the rules were mainly for the Jews. Don't get rich, so you have money. Don't get rich on the backs of the poor and don't get rich off your own people. So it kind of left the door open to get rich on, on the Gentiles. You could do that. But not your own people. Don't charge them interest. And don't charge crazy interest on poor people because you know, hey, I got them over a barrel. I'm going to give them a loan. I know they'll never pay back. Literally, this would happen in Bible times. I'm going to give them a loan. I know they can't pay back. And when they can't pay it back, they'll become my slave. And they will work for me literally as a slave until the year of Jubilee. And then they get released. But till then, I have them. Don't do that. Jesus comes along and he also, he talks about this parable. This one's given some talents and this is given some talents and this, gives, this one's given some talents. These two, this one invests and that one invests and this one just buries it. So he's talking about take your money and invest it. Obviously, it's going to be given out in loans and create interest. So why would Jesus say it's okay to lend if it's wrong to borrow? So I don't take that tight. You say, then what do you think this means? We still haven't dealt with the text. Oh, no one anything in my heart of hearts, I believe what this is saying is... Don't be in arrears on your bills. So, here we go again. Not the message today, but a practical application. Are you in arrears on your bills? So, here's the stance. You don't technically say, well, I'm buying a house, but I didn't have enough money. I had to borrow some money. Okay, you don't technically owe the mortgage company until such and such day of the week. So, when that day or the day of the month, when that day comes, pay your debts. Don't be in arrears. Don't be in back payment. Don't ignore it. Pay your bills. Don't just go into bankruptcy. You say, well, what if I had to do that one time? You ought to have an intent of even if it takes the rest of my life and I can only do a little bit, I did borrow that. You did give it to me. And based on the scripture, I feel like I need to be paying you back. And I think that's what this text is telling us. Oh, no one. Don't be in arrears. But the main point of the text is Paul's introducing us to a new debt. Christian, if you want to write this down, are you a Christian? You know the answer to that. You say, I know I've put my faith and trust in Jesus. I know I have a relationship with God through Christ. The Holy Spirit lives in me. Newsflash, here's what our text. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Here's the main point of this first point. If you are a Christian, you owe it to people to love them. In fact, the person you're sitting beside right now, you owe it to them. And some of you are like, oh, yeah, it's my spouse. They do a lot for me. Or this is a person, yeah, they're a good friend of mine. They do for me. I do for them. I can see how I owe them love. Some of you are sitting beside a stranger. And as Americans, we probably think, oh, whoa, whoa, owing debts. We owe debts to people who give us things or provide services. This person has done nothing for me. I don't owe them. How can I possibly owe them love? I think the point is this. Christian, you owe it to people to love them. Here's why. Because God, through Christ, has loved you. Watch. And you can never pay God back. You can't pay God back. You're like, but I want to pay God back for loving me. You can't pay it back. So here's what he says. Pay it forward to people. You don't deserve my love. You don't deserve my love. You can't pay me back. So here's how you're going to try to pay me back. Love people through my love in you. Love John R.W. Stott words it this way. He says, there's one debt which will always remain outstanding. And I don't know about you guys, I don't like being in debt. I want to pay and we've got some things I can't wait. They're fun. Pay that off. Pay that off. Looking for the day. We're, we have a mortgage and about a thousand years from now we'll pay that off, right? Some of you are like, yeah, I'm in the same boat. But what a great day. You know, you get to pay that off. I like paying my debts. Stott is correct. He says, there is one debt which will always remain outstanding because we can never pay it. And that is our duty to love. Christians, you owe the debt of love. He continues. This is an important line. I underlined it. We can never stop loving somebody and say, I've loved enough. Unquote. And I know there's some of you in here, you're like, I've loved and I've loved and I've loved and I've been taken advantage of and I've been abused and neglected and... And thrown to the curb and I've loved in love. Here's what the text is teaching us. You can never stop loving. You're like, well, this person I can know. You can never stop loving anyone and say, I've loved enough. Why? Because you owe it to the world because God loved you when you didn't deserve it. Keep loving them though they don't deserve it. Pay it. The thing with this payment is this one's different. Pay everything else off. 
But this one, you pay it and you still owe it. And frankly, the more you pay and the more you pay, the more you like owe it even more. And the more you realize, I owe this debt of love. Just before we move to our second point, would you look at the word accept? Look again at verse 8. Owe no one anything except that doesn't mean, hey, pay all your debts. Well, except for love, you don't have to pay that one. That's not what it means. Owe no one anything except love. You're going to keep owing and always owing. Always owing. Now we'll finish here. But just before we go to the second point, all through the message there's going to be this big question mark and I am very inadequate to help you. But I want to put an installment in right now. You ready? Here's the big question. All right, Jeff, I can see we owe people love. We owe it because God loved us. We're supposed to owe and move it on. Got it. Here's the question. How? How, how do we love? And we'll come back to it, and it's not a main point here, and really some of these things that I'm going to give you were after our notes were made, and so you may have to make little side notations, and this one's too long, but I wrote this a couple of nights ago. Here's what I've determined. A frequent, that's a key word, frequent focus and meditation on the love of God for us is essential to growing a love for others in us. I need to say it again. You said, yes, it sounds simple. You're, not, so you're acting all excited like you're saying something new. We've heard this stuff before. I'm telling you, this has to happen for us to love properly because that's a big question. Okay, we owe love, but how do we do it? A frequent focus and meditation on the love of God for us is absolutely essential for us to have growing love for others growing in us. Why? Catch this. There's something I know about you. You want to be loved. You do. I want to be loved. So this focus on God's love for us, here's what it does. A deep and intentional focus, meditation, understanding of God's love for us. Here's what it does. It frees me to no longer focus on my desire to be loved. I know someone loves me. And if anyone was ever going to love me, this is the person I would want to love me. God does love me. He's going to meet my greatest need. I don't have to worry about loving me. I can now move on and love other people. You have to have that intentional, repeated focus because we so often forget we always default to loving self. We must remember, God, you love me. So I don't have to worry about loving me because I need to be loved. I really want it. You're taking care of that. I can love them. Number two. And this one's tough. Oh, no one anything. And in verse number nine, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Second thought this morning is love is commanded by Christ. And this is tough. Love is commanded by Christ. You see it in verse number 8. You see it in verse number 9. If you want to follow along, I'm going to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. I'm going to read verses 33 to 35. John 13. So here's a command. Love is commanded. Let that sink in. Hey, here's what God's saying to this section over here this morning. Love people. Mark, set, go. There, are you doing it? Are you doing it? Are you obeying? And you're probably hearing that going, I don't, uh, I can't just like flip switch because you said or because I, there's some black ink on a white page and it formed letters and words and I read it. I just, I just can't just flip the switch. And yet God commands. John 13, 33. Here's the scene. It's the upper room. Verse 31 says, when he had gone out, literally J Judas, Judas is left. You're gonna, you know what you're going to do. Go ahead and go do it. And Judas leaves. Hey, where is he going? Don't worry about him. Watch what Jesus does. It's almost as though Jesus is like, okay, now that he's gone, they've just done the Passover. It's been turned into the, the Lord's Supper. And the Lord is literally within hours of being betrayed and being tried. The next morning, he will be hanging on a cross. He's well aware of all this. Verse 33, he tells his disciples, little children, okay, now that he's gone. I almost picture, again, I'm adding to the scripture here, a little bit lower voice. Hey, guys, listen. Y'all listen? You're 11? You're still with me. Hang with me. Watch. Yet a little while, I'm with you. Guys, we're getting to the end. I'm only with you a little while longer. So you really need to listen to what I'm about to say. And I can see them leaning in like, he's acting real urgent. What's going on? What's that? Hold on. Shh. He says, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. Guys, I'm leaving. Okay, he's gone. Guys, listen, I have a message for you. He's leaving. I have a new commandment. 
quiet, it's big, it's important. It's kind of like last words. We're getting to the end. What's he going to say? Verse 34, have a new commandment I give to you. Shh, quiet, this is it. That you love one another. And it doesn't say, but I think if I'm, I'm in that meeting with the disciples, I wonder if their minds are going, that's not new. You've already said this before. We've heard Leviticus and we've heard Deuteronomy. This isn't new. But watch verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Guys, I have a new commandment. Love one another. That's not new. Love like me. Love like I love you. Whoa, now that is new. Guys, you know what Jesus just told his disciples? Don't love like you love. Love like I love. And i got to tell you, I read that, and I see Jesus, the master, just washed the disciples' feet. They had a huge problem with this. And I think, Lord, this is not natural. This is unnatural. And then he talks about love your enemies. And I hear that, and I'm going to say, okay, Lord, I can play the game, but that's not only unnatural, that's like extremely difficult for Jeff Bartlett to do. And then he talks about laying down his life. And then I think, Lord, I love me too much to do what you did. And he doesn't just talk it, he lays down his life. First John chapter, we have several out of 1 John. I don't know if it's because this book, and it is because this book goes so much with our passage. Of course, those of you who are doing, doing our reading plan, we were in 1 John, we just finished it. Wednesday of last week. I'm starting Revelation tomorrow. Look at 1 John chapter 3. What is this love of Christ? We're supposed to love like Christ loved. John chapter th- 1 John 3, look at verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And it's like, I want you to love like that. Wash their feet, forgive, serve. The top serves the younger. Because here's what Jesus is saying. Hey, if you love like you, everybody out there, your neighbors, your unsaved co-workers, your unsaved family members, they all love like that. I'm asking you to do something that they're going to step up and take notice. Do you see how they do? At the church, like the people who are like the greatest are the ones who get underneath everybody and serve everyone else. They're really flipped over there, those Christians. And Jesus said, that's how they'll know you really are my followers. Jesus lays down his life. That's what real love looks like. Chapter 4, look at verse 9. It'll be on the screen. 1 John 4, verse 9. In this, oh, now we're talking about the Father. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. This is how we'll see it. That God sent His only Son into the world so that, he, that we might live through Him. So you got the Son laying down His life. Look at the love of the Son. Now we have the Father who's one with the Son through eternity. They've never been apart. And He sends the Son into the world so that Jeff might live and so you might live. And we think, yeah, that's really great. Jesus is holy and godly. And he came and he gave these great speeches so that we can go to heaven. We don't go to heaven because of Jesus' holy life and Jesus' teaching and his doctrine. The key is verse 10. You want to see the Father's love? It's in verse 10 because it takes it to the next step. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's the love of the Father. And if you're not careful, you'll read that and go, okay, great, propitiation. Don't know what it means. Let's keep reading. Stop. That's where you've got to say, what does this word mean? How much does God love us? Right. He sent his son so that they can live, and he comes on back. How'd it go, son? Well, I went and I told them, and I lived a godly life, and let's see how they do. No. The Father made Jesus to be a sacrifice, a bloody sacrifice, to hang on a cross so the Father could pour the wrath that was against our sin on the Son. I would never do that to my son sitting over here. I'm sorry. I would not give my son to die for your sins. God loves that much. And Jesus says, that's how we love. That's how I want you to love. So Grace View, let's start doing Romans 8 and 1 John. One more verse. I want to look at it. I'm still in 1 John. Move too quickly. Listen to verse 23 of chapter 3. Watch this. Two commands. Have you obeyed these two commands of God? 1 John 3, 23. And this is his commandment. Number one. That we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another. It must happen in that order. Number one. Have you, can you in your heart say, I have obeyed God's command. 
you better believe in my son. Well, what if I disobey? You will go to hell. The Bible is clear. You must obey my son, Jesus Christ. And then second command, love one another just as he commanded us. The commands of God. Write this down because here's what I struggle with. Our love is to be volitional and emotional. And that's where I struggle. It's commanded. Love. Our love is to be volitional, which means will, action, and emotional. And here's what Jeff can do. Jeff wants to have a conversation with God and say, okay, wait, you're commanding us to love people. I can do the action part. I think I can play along, be nice to them, speak nice to them. But Lord, I'm not going to like it. Some of them, they're not real nice. And I'm not going to like it. And God says, that's not the love I'm asking for. I want you to love them with your emotions and your will and your actions. And here's American thinking. Okay, well, well, God, you can't command the emotions. You can't command emotions. You can command actions. You can't make us have the emotion. Piper writes the following. Jesus does command the feelings. He demands that our emotions be one way and not another. He commands it. You say, seriously, Jesus has commands on our emotions. Watch. He commands that we rejoice in certain circumstances. Look at the screen. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 12. Matthew 5, 12. Rejoice in certain circumstances. Jesus tells his disciples, rejoice, like right now, and be glad. The the context here, though you're being persecuted. And I know right now in this auditorium, Right now, some of you have done the right thing. You've represented God. You have a clean conscience in a situation. You did the right thing, and people took it the wrong way or ran with it the wrong way or they twisted it or they persecuted you. They knew what you did. They think it was the wrong thing. It has cost you. Catch that? It has cost you. You are being persecuted for this. Jesus says, hey, rejoice. Be glad. Why? Your reward, you're going to get rewarded for this. Hey, it's not new. They've been persecuting the prophets before you. Luke chapter 10, verse number 20. The disciples are sent out two by two and they come back to Jesus. And they're all excited. Lord, this is amazing. Just like you said, we have power over the spirits. We're like casting demons out of people. This is awesome. Watch chapter 10, verse 20 of Luke. Do not rejoice in this. So he's saying, rejoice. Be glad. Watch. Do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Do you see that? He's saying rejoice over this. I don't think this is saying, hey, stop being glad about successful ministry. Did you catch it? Lord, this is amazing. It really is happening. Even the demons. It's, we're, we're having great ministry. We're riding the wave, as Brandon says. Things are going awesome. As a person in ministry, I love when ministry is going well. But what Jesus is saying is that's fickle. Ministry will fluctuate. You will have successful times and you'll have time. I've got to tell you guys, there's some Sundays I go home and it's like, Lord, look what you did. And there's other Sundays like, Lord, look what I did. I blew it. I, please do something good out of that. And so what the Lord's saying is it's not wrong to be glad and thankful in successful ministry. Just don't only be glad when ministry is successful. Here's something that's stable and permanent. Your names are written in heaven, so be glad and rejoice. He tells us, do not fear. Fear God, do not fear people. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, find my way there. Verse number 4. Take me a moment, I think it's on the screen. Luke 12, verse number 4. Watch what the Bible says. I tell you, my friends, so grace for you, listen. Young people, listen particularly. People who work among unsafe people, listen particularly. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. Do not fear the lost, ones who are persecuting, trying to hurt. Do not fear those. By the way, some Christian in the world today will die for his or her faith and If we could give them a passage of remembrance, we would want them to hear their Lord saying, don't worry, I'm with you, don't. But they're getting ready to kill me. That's all they can do. And then you're with me. It's good after that. Just hang on a little bit. I'm going to go through this with you. And many have clung to that. He says, but I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Watch Revelation chapter 21, verse number 8. 
But as for the cowardly, that's our fearful people. This is Jeff Bartlett as a nine-year-old boy at Bible camp who almost didn't put his faith in Christ because he was worried about two other guys who were supposed buddies that I don't even know their names today. What would they think if I go forward and receive Christ? I'll tell you what will happen. The Bible says, as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Stop worrying what other people will think and just live for me. So rejoice. Don't fear them. Fear him. Luke chapter 9. Don't be ashamed. Again, people... Young people who are in classes with unsaved people. People who work in secular workplaces where it's just not popular to be a Christian. Watch what Jesus says in Luke chapter 9 verse number 26. For whoever is ashamed of me, you're feeling shame and stigma. Whoever's ashamed of my words. Hey, aren't you like a Christian? Where did you go to school? Oh, I went to, and, and you went to like a Christian school or your name with Christ. Or, uh, don't you do, what do you do on Sunday morning? Let's go, I can't, I, I'm busy on Sunday morning. What are you doing on Sunday morning? Uh, I just got a little thing I do. Don't be that way. Verse 26, whoever's ashamed of me and of my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. He's saying, when it's really going to be cool and obvious to be associated with Christ, Christ will say, you were ashamed of me. You're not one of mine. You didn't have that boldness that my people have. And now I'm ashamed of you. You don't want to be in that category. Don't be ashamed. Fear them. Don't fear them. Rejoice. Be glad. And then Jesus says, forgive people. In fact, forgive from the heart, according to Matthew 18. Back to Piper, he writes the following. So Christ commands love. It's commanded by Christ. I was challenged by this years ago as Piper wrote it, really in context of our love for God, but it applies to our love for others. Listen. Can God command our feelings? Piper says, if a feeling is proper to have, Jesus can demand it. The fact that I may be too corrupt to experience the emotions I ought to have, well, then I can't help it. I'm not guilty. No, it does not change my duty to have them. And then in your handout, he writes the following. My moral inability to produce it, the feeling, does not remove my guilt. Hey, God, it's not my fault. You're asking for something I can't do. No, it doesn't remove our guilt. It says it reveals my corruption and it makes me desperate for a new heart. Here it is again. Lord, I can play nice and Lord, I can talk nice and Lord, I might even give them some things but I can't live up to what you're asking to. So surely you understand and you're okay if my feelings aren't engaged and it's just my will and my actions and the Lord says, no, you're guilty, you're corrupt and that drives us to this. God, you're going to have to give me a new heart because this one is not feeling that way. Please give me a new heart. Have you ever done that? Third point out of Romans 13. Love is a debt that we owe. Love is commanded by Christ and very obvious in the text is this third point. Love fulfills the law. Love really does fulfill the law. So I stop and I ask myself, and I remind us, would you go back to Romans 5? We'll be there in a moment. Romans 5, so just a couple pages away. Flip over there. Why does God give us the law? And y'all know what we're talking about the law? Okay, this is review, I understand. So I'm only going to hit it a minute. We could give six, seven, eight things. I'm going to give just a couple. So here's the law. Thou shalt have no other gods. Don't have any other gods. Don't make images and idols. You know, don't make characterizations. Don't pour things into mold, don't sculpt, don't carve, don't find something like, oh, look, this is cool. It's just kind of washed out that way. Let's start worshiping this, obviously, or meteor, which some religions have done. These things hit the earth and they're shaped certain ways. Oh, that's a representation of God. God says, don't do that. Don't take my name in vain. Honor, you know, uh, keep the Sabbath day. Have a day of rest. Trust me that your crops will still grow and that your animals will be taken care of. Trust me to take a day off. I will take care of you. Honor your father and your mother. Don't kill people. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. And don't even covet. So we have 10 out of the 613 commandments of the Old Testament. Why? Most everyone in here already knows this, but in case one person doesn't know it, let me say it this. God did not give you his laws so that you could read them 
kind of get a little understanding and come to this conclusion, which all people in the world come to. So these are the laws of God. So I'm supposed to do these things, and God will take notice, and I'll earn His favor, and thereby I will get to go to heaven by my performance of keeping the laws. That is not why God gave us the law. You say, why did He give us the law? Many reasons. Let's write down two. Number one, to reveal the nature of God. And because we have the nature of God revealed, now we know what sin is. Don't have other gods. Why? Because there are no other gods. Don't make graven images. Why? Because God doesn't have a body. Oh, no. We're going to make it out of gold, and we're going to make it really big, and we're going to make it really beautiful. You're going to come up short, and it's going to give the wrong idea about God. Have no graven images. Don't take his name in vain. Why? Because God really cares about his name, and his name is important. It's attached to his person. And he goes right down the list. These things tell things about God. Once we know the nature of God, now we know what sin is because sin offends and displeases God's nature. Second reason we're going to look at, just briefly, is in Romans 5. The law is given, not for us to keep it and go to heaven. The law is given to show us not only God's nature, and that's what sin is. Here it is. You have sinned to such a high degree you can never stop sinning and you need a Savior and you will go to hell without putting your faith and trust in a Savior. No, no, I'm going to stop doing those things. I'm going to be good. Verse 20, Romans 5. Now the law came in. Why? The law came in to increase the trespass. That's opposite of what you... Watch. For thousands of years, mankind lived, did not have a written code of God's law. For thousands of years, and here's what happened. Mankind's sin was getting worse and worse and worse. Or if you want to chart it as the sin growing and how much sin is in the world, sin is just growing and growing and growing. But then, after a few thousand years, God gives the law to Moses, 1445 B.C., and you say, what happened? Surely everybody gets it, and the sin goes down, right? No, the sin spikes way more than ever before because people don't change their lives, but now they know that's wrong. and that, Coveting is even wrong? Well, I'll stop coveting. No, you can't stop coveting. So our sin goes up, according to verse 20, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that's the point of the whole thing. God's going to show off His grace so that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm not going to bog down there. Here it is. God, why would you give us the law? Not so we could keep it and be saved, but so we would see what sin is, see what your nature is. We're full of sin. We must have Jesus as our Savior. That's the point of the law. And then we have this statement in Romans 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The end of verse number 9. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Now watch First John chapter 14. This will be on the screen. You'll not need to turn there. It's very short. The lo love fulfills the law. You ready? Love fulfills the law. John 14 verse 15. Look at it. Very simple. You have a condition, if, and you have a result. You will. Watch. If. So we could come and get each person here this morning and say, if you love Jesus, you will keep his commandments. If you love Christ, Christ says, if you love me, you will. Hear it. You will. You will keep my commandments if you love me. And so here's what a lot of people do. I'm going to focus on part B of the verse. I'm going to keep his commandments. And then I'll fulfill the law. That's wrong. This is a section I'm going to read, but it's a little, it's very simple language, but it's kind of tricky the way it plays in our minds. So I'm going to take that and draw some conclusions. I'll say them slowly. Here it comes. You ready? Commandment keeping. No other gods. No graven images. I'm stop taking the Lord's name in vain. I'm going to do what mom and daddy say. Quickly, sweetly, completely. I'm going to not kill people. And I'm not going to steal their stuff. And I'm not going to sleep around. I'm going, to, I'm going to be good. Commandment keeping alone does not fulfill the law because commandment keeping by itself is usually rooted in pride. Look at me how holy I am. I have this guilty feeling and so I'm going to start commandment keeping. Or the big one, I'm going to commandment keep. I'm going to obey the laws of God in hopes that He'll see me and let me earn my way to heaven. He's going to pronounce me righteous because of how good I've been. Here it again. Commandment keeping apart 
separate from love is not fulfilling the law, but commandment keeping stemming from love is fulfilling of the law. Watch. Commandment keeping. you got two people doing the exact same thing. Over here is love that's keeping the law, and over here is law that's keeping the laws. Same behaviors, different root. This one's rooted in love. This one's rooted in pride. This one over here, one in love, fulfills the law. That one over there is really just very much displeasing God because you're arrogant and proud. Watch 1 John 5, verse number 3. Look what it says because it adds one little shade to what we just said. 1 John 5, 3. This is the love of God that we keep His commandments. Hey, there it is again. You love God, you're going to keep His commandments. Watch the second part. And His commandments are not burdensome. You'll keep His commandments, but here's the thing. His commandments are not burdensome. Well, I've said the word love and commandment keeping, and I've said a lot, and it all starts running together. Can I share this with you? When love is in place, it takes the burden, the weight, the work out of commandment keeping. Doing the same thing. I wrote this, I think it was last night. Watch. Law and love, same behaviors. The difference is love takes the burden and the weight and the work out of the behavior. Because it's based in love. It's not a have to go to church, have to read my Bible, have to spend some time in prayer, have to put some money in the offering plate. It's I want to go to church. I get to read my Bible. Lord, I want, can we please, I've got just a little window. Can we spend some time in prayer? Lord, look what you've done. You've blessed me. I want to give this to your work. Same activity. One fulfills the law. The other is done in pride and self-effort. Back to Romans. Romans chapter 13. Look at verse number 9. Actually, I forgot a note. Would you write this down? I don't know who to give credit, but I thought I would throw it in here. It's been said. You can fake a heart for God, but you cannot hide one. Chew on that. You can fake a heart for God, and I'll probably buy it. Oh, that guy really loves the Lord. Why? Look how much he keeps the commandments. He's a real commandment keeper, but God sees right through it. You can fake a heart for God by commandment keeping, but you can't hide a heart for God. You say, what does that mean? If you really love the Lord, it's going to come out in command. You will do some things and you will not do some things. Verse number 9 tells us some things you will not do. Christian, if you really love God, you will not commit adultery. Oh, no, no, Pastor Jeff, listen, I've been meaning to talk to you about that. Listen, I still love my wife, but me and this other lady, we're in love. We're in love. We can't help it. We can't help it. We love each other. Can I be honest with you? If that is you, if anybody in here this morning, you're in that kind of situation or you have done that and your honest thought was, we're in love. I think I might have missed it on my first one. This is a person I really love. Listen to him. I want to tell you the truth, biblically. You don't love them. You love you. You love you. If you really love them, then the best thing you can do for a person you love is help them to get closer to God because that's the best life. Adultery leads people away from God, takes the favor of God off their life. You say, I love them. No, you lust for them. If you loved your wife and your spouse or loved your husband and your kids, you would not be doing those things because it's hurting them. If you love God, you wouldn't be shaming Him and offending Him. You love you. So go ahead and just say it. Yeah, I love me. And that's why I do these things. Same thing. That one's the one that's kind of awkward because somebody might actually read it. No, no, no. We commit adultery because we love each other. Now, the murder, that's a no-brainer. Yeah. If you love somebody, you're not going to kill them. If you love somebody, you're not going to steal their stuff. If you love somebody, you're not going to, you know, be sorry that they have them. But, boy, that, that adultery one can be a little bit tough. When you love, you don't take people's lives I want you to have life. I'm not going to steal your life by murder. I want you to have the abundant life. I'm not sorry you have possessions. I'm glad you have those possessions, and I'm surely not going to steal them. I give thanks to God that you have that. God has blessed you. I hope you turn that back to praise. God has been really good to you. Would you look at verse number 9 for the commandments? We have five of them here. You shall not commit adultery, murder, steal, covet, or any other. They're summed up this way. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Aren't these five really the foundation for all, most all, of human laws? I'm about to make one of the main points of this text. 
Think of a law in your mind. Here, a law in the United States. Think of a law. It doesn't have to be a Bible law. Speeding, right? Speeding. What's that based in? The government doesn't want me to have any fun. That's what that's based in. All right. Uh, drug distribution. Drug dealers. It's against the law. Why? The government don't, doesn't want me to have any fun. No. Breaking and entering. Helping yourself into people's house while they're there or while they're gone. Arson. Assault and battery. Tax laws. Watch. Environmental waste management. Why do we have these laws? Love of people. If you want to write this, this is a key point of this whole text. If we had no fifth through tenth commandments of the ten commandments, knowing the first tablet is dealing with our relationship with God... Paul does not bring that into play. He's already been talking about that back in chapters 1 through 11 and even chapter 12. We're giving ourselves to the Lord. We're surely not going to offend God. We love Him. We gave Him our body. But he brings in mainly this second tablet of laws, these five commands here in chapter 13, verse 9, and then also these others. So we're going back to these tablets of the Ten Commandments. Picture, imagine for a moment. They're not in your Bible. They're literally gone. It doesn't say about honoring father and mother. There are not, there's nothing in the scripture or on the books in the United States about murder and adultery and stealing and lying and coveting. And there's nothing in there. Watch. Remove them all from scripture. You don't, there are no rules against those things, but we're going to replace them with one thing. Here it comes. Love. Laws are gone. Love in its place. So, Jeff, what would happen? We wouldn't need the laws. You don't need the laws. Now hear what I'm about to say. We would need informed, but we wouldn't need laws and rules. We'll say it again. If we remove the fifth through the tenth commandment, but replace it with love, everyone in the whole country loves each other, that's fine. We don't need the laws, but we would still need to be informed. You say, Jeff, why do we need to be informed? What does that mean? Picture this. You've got a business, someone comes to the door, hey, sir, you're the operator? Yes, I operate this place. All this land, oh yeah, we've got 125 acres, we've got this large plant, we've been in business, family business, been doing it for years. Yeah, uh, you know the guy that uh, you hire and what he does all day long is he loads those barrels of the runoff from your business in the back of his truck and he goes to the back part of the 125 acres and he just kind of dumps those back there? Yeah, yeah, we've got to do something with it. We've got some running in some pipes, same direction, but the rest, we just he, that's his job, we keep him busy, it's good. We're helping the economy. Well, sir, we've done some studies. And do you know how there's like 10,000 people who live two or three miles below your business? Oh, yeah. They have a very high rate of cancer and they have strange tumors. And they're just dying at high rates. Just wanted you to know that our studies have found it seems to be tied to your runoff. But no law. Just letting you know. You know what the unloving person says? Well, I guess they should move. They need to move. We've got to do something with it. You know what love does? Hold on, let me get this straight. Are you saying that my company is causing people to be sick and die? Yes, sir. Just wanted you to know. They're going to go into the plant and say, hey, whoa, whoa, shut everything down. Call our customers who are waiting on products. Say, we're going to be behind. We'll catch back up when we can. We've got to stop doing what we've been doing. We've got to start helping these people that we've been causing damage to. That's why we have these laws. Yes, we need informed, but unfortunately people don't love, and so some people don't care how they run their businesses, and they have to be told, don't do these things. I like driving fast, really fast. Stop it. You're, you're putting other people's... I got through. Yeah, but you caused a 10-car pileup behind you. Why? Because we're selfish. We have to have laws. The goal all along, guys, has been love. I've concluded that when we love, we are the most like Christ. I've concluded a couple of days ago, I thought this thought, God, would you give us a church of people with flaws, because we all have them, people with flaws but who are growing in love, Lord, give me that kind of church, flaws, and we know it, but we're growing, we're literally growing in our love for you and people, Lord, give me that church every day over a church who puts on the facade of external, loveless holiness and separation I don't want to be part of that I want to be part of the loving flawed but growing in love kind of church that's what this passage is calling us to would you look at verse 9 one more time for the commandments 
Do not commit adultery, murder, steal, or covet. Well, that's the hard one. Grace View, would you as an individual sitting there right now, Christian, long-time member, first-time guest, would you evaluate yourself? How do you love? The greatest test is probably that one. Do not covet. I used this list a few weeks ago in a different setting. I'm going to offer it again. Evaluate yourself. Here it comes. Love. Does not covet. We could say it would not be bitter, jealous, envious when someone receives a promotion and we did it. And you've been doing the same thing. Better than they did it, better than they will do it, and you're not recognized. Love doesn't get angry. Love, when someone gets engaged or married, is not envious and bitter, covetous. When someone takes an awesome trip and you haven't been on one in years, love doesn't get envious and bitter and jealous. Love is thankful for that. When someone receives an award and you haven't even been noticed, and the list goes on, they have a child, maybe the Lord hasn't given you one, they get a new car, you're driving the same old one. They get a new house and look, what are they doing? There's no way. We bank, we've worked harder and longer. And how in the world are they? Whoa, that's not love. Speaking on this again, one more time, I'll quote Piper. On the phrase, love your neighbor as yourself. This is important. Really tune in here. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's not saying, boy, you really need to work on loving yourself and then love people like that. No, you already love yourself. And here's what he says. Here's how you know you love yourself. You ready? You want to be happy. That's the proof. Everybody in here, you want to be happy. You do. You want to be happy. You say, well, Jeff, I know some folks, I don't know that they really want to be happy. They hurt themselves. I want to tell you one of two reasons why they hurt themselves. They may be hurting themselves because they want the attention or they're hurting themselves to escape some other pain and some other guilt. And some will even go the full way of killing themselves. Why? I just want out of it. I'm tired of this. I want to be happy and this will fix it. Everybody wants to be happy. Of this point, Piper throws this in my face and here's what he says. Make your desire for happiness, right? Make your desire for happiness, your happiness, Make that the measure of your desire for other people's happiness. That's what the text is calling for. Jeff's, Jeff wants to be happy. Jeff really loves me. He loves me. Boy, he looks out for me. He makes sure I get fed and cleaned and taken care of. Man, he takes care of me because he wants to be happy. You want to be happy. What if the measure of your own happiness becomes the measure of wanting other? I want it for you. And we hear that and we say, God... That's impossible. You have to do something. Verse 10. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. I know what happens inevitably when a preacher like me gets up and preaches a passage like this. It's scary for law keepers. It's scary for rule performers. It's really scary. Oh, you're going to use the word. Ready? legalists get really scared on passages like Romans 13 verses 8 through 10 and on messages like, okay, hold on, let me get this straight. Man, I hope they don't take what he's saying the wrong way. It sounds like he's downplaying the law and just elevating love. Like we don't need the law. Jeff, are you saying we're not going to study the law anymore when we come up to these commands in the Scripture? Are you just going to blow by them and just emphasize love, 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 just love. I'll tell you where that leads, preacher. And here's what they'd say. You're going to have all your people down at the beach around a big old campfire with some guitars singing songs, right? Having a good old love. It's a big love fest. And give it time. All the relational lines will be crossed. And just this sentimental lovey-dovey-dovey stuff is going to take over. And sin's going to fill your church. So you better not de-emphasize law. Better keep the bar high. Keep the standard high. Don't get too caught up in love. I think Paul's answer is this. When love, hear me, when love is real, it exalts God, it honors God, it does no wrong to its neighbor. I will not die for the next sentence I'm going to give you. I won't die for it. But I wrote it last night. I'm going to propose it to you to think about. So what do we need to do with the law? What do we need to do with love? We emphasize love. 
We don't skip over the law. It still tells us the nature of God and shows what sin is. And I believe the law shows what love would look like when it's really in place. But law for law's sake is not the goal. So here's a sentence I want to throw to you. Law manages the house until love fills the house and makes law unnecessary. Law, we need them because we don't love. If we love, we really wouldn't need it. But law manages the house until love fills the house and then makes laws unnecessary. And that last phrase, I'll tell you what I just described. It's called heaven. No law. No law. Just love. No one will do wrong to their neighbor. You're opening the door for sin. You're lowering the standard. Can I just say it this way? Romans 13, 9 tells us things that when you love, you won't do, you will not do. Romans chapter 12, I can't re-preach it, but do you guys remember that section? When love is in place, here's what you will do. Could you guys imagine Grace View Church with these things out of Romans 12 in place? Watch this. What if we all really loved, we would start using our spiritual gifts to serve each other? Could you imagine? Instead of coming and spectating, we start participating. Instead of coming and only receiving, we receive and give. Why? Not because we're law keepers, but because I just want to, Lord, you've gifted me this way. It ain't much, but if you can use it, oh, here's an open door. I'm going to go serve God's people, and I'm going to receive them. We're going to worship you. Love, according to chapter 12, verse number 10, seeks to honor others. How? Watch. Doesn't matter if they're young, old, wealthy, poor, smell really good, smell really bad, really attractive, really ugly, doesn't matter. I'm going to honor you with my presence. You get my attention today. I care about you. I'm lifting you up. I'm elevating you. What if that was happening in our churches? Love, according to chapter 12, verse number 13, when it's real, it contributes to the needs of the saints. God, look, you've blessed me in this area, and I see they are lacking. They need it. I have more than I need. I get to help. I'm not guilted into helping it happens because love takes place. Here's a big one. Grace, if you hear this, love pursues. It's not just open to hospitality. It pursues hospitality of guests and visitors. It goes up to them. Hey, good morning. Welcome to Grace View. How'd you hear about us? How long you been here? Oh, first time, second time, fourth time. Great. Who do you know here? Are you sitting with someone? You got to sit with me. Hey, what would you think about the singing? Have you ever heard preaching like that? Did the Lord speak to you today? Anything I can help you with? Let me help you with the kids. And if you're sitting there going, I could never approach people and do that. God knows I get an out. I pull the card out. God, I'm an introvert. Introvert, you've gifted me in different ways. I'm just telling you, I promise you. You start loving, you'll find yourself acting and behaving in ways you never thought because love changes you. It's real. And the big one we looked at in chapter 12 is we struggle. Love forgives other people when they wrong us. It will. Jeff will not forgive you. God's love being turned loose in us. Chapter 12, verse 9 said it this way. Let love be genuine. Let it be real. Hey, grace for you. Don't fake it. Don't say, oh, there's this list. I guess I better use my spiritual gift. I need to engage in a conversation with someone instead of just bolting out the door. I guess I better give. I am really blessed. I guess I need to engage a visitor. I guess I will tell that person that, that their wrong is forgiven. No, it's got to be from the heart or it doesn't count. I've got to close. Fourth point, quickly. Back to Romans 5. Would you look at it quickly? The fourth point this morning is Christian love is a family trait. This point here gives me some hope because Jeff falls so far short in owing it and obeying the commands of Christ and fulfilling the law. Jeff defaults to Jeff. But there is still hope because Christian kind of love, not love like everyone else in the world, Christian love is a family trait. Do you see Romans 5? Look at verse 5. I'm not going to read all the context, just jumping right into verse 5. And hope, because we've been justified by faith, we didn't have to work for it, God just declared us righteous because of Jesus' death on the cross. And hope does not put us to shame. We have this confident expectation, I'm going to heaven. Guys, listen, every Christian who's truly trusting Christ, I promise you, based on the Scriptures, you will not die, pass into eternity, take a look around and go, this is it. Man, I really thought it was going to be a lot more than that. If this is all, I think I might would have opted for another door down there. 
This is a huge promise that will not happen. Verse 5. Hope does not put us to shame. Why? How do we know this, Jeff? Because God's love, Christian, has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has, past tense, has been given to us. The Holy Spirit is not in unbelievers' hearts, but when a person put their faith and trust in Christ, then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes in them and now they find themselves starting to love God. And when they learn about the nature of God, God, this is His nature and this is what He likes and approves of and this is what He disapproves. A true Christian with the Holy Spirit in them is like, I don't want to do those things. Why? Because you're a law keeper? No, because it offends God. I don't want to offend God. I didn't even know that was wrong. And now I'm finding it out. Now I've got to deal with this. That's love. I want to give you good news. I can't even, my time is gone. I cannot hit these passages. So let's just list these good news. All true Christians, here's the good news. All true Christians have a base of love. So if you're like me and you're reading this passage and you're like, I am getting beat up. I am so far short. I don't even think I do the the will part and the action part, much less have the emotions. I'm just really coming up short. Here's the good news. All true Christians have a base of love. How do you know that, Jeff? Because love is a major attribute of God. See the verse? We'll hit this quick. I'll just read it. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Watch the last four words. Because God is love. All Christians have a base of love. It's an attribute of God. Second reason, also out of 1 John 4, 19. Love is a reaction to God's love for us. Note the word because. Our love is a reaction to God's love for us. We love, we do love. Christians love. Why? Because He first loved us. It's a reaction. It really does happen. The third one comes out of Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. Love, why do Christians have a base? Because love is a creation. Love is an evidence of the Spirit. We saw in Romans 5, 5, the Holy Spirit's been poured into you as a Christian. Here's the evidence. You have love, joy, peace. You have these things. You have patient endurance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness, self-control. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is in you and He's really evident. He is creating this in you. 1 John 3, 14. How do we know Christians have a base of love? 1 John 3, 14. Because love is how we can know we are truly saved. It's how we know we're truly saved. I want to actually read that one. You see it? After you write it, look at 1 John 3, 14. Christian, you say, I think I'm a Christian. Check yourself. We, we know we have passed out of death into life. How do we know we're no longer separate, death, away from God? We're now close in relationship with God. We have passed out of death into life. How do we know this? Because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. You're still in death. Last passage this morning. Would you go to Philippians chapter 1? Philippians chapter 1. So I just gave you the good news. Everybody catch it? Good news. Christian. Tough message, tough passage. Struggling to live up to this. I know I am. I'm probably literally the worst in the room. I've got a long way to go. I admire those of you who are far ahead of me. I've got a long way to go. But I have great hope because I know I have a foundation. It is an attribute of God. It is a reaction to His love. The Holy Spirit is putting it in me and He has poured it into me. And I do have an element of this love and I know that I am a Christian. And yet here's a fact. Here's a fact. I see this. I see it. I saw it this week. I see it in myself. Catch it. Some genuine Christians, though they have a base of love, some genuine Christians still struggle to love, catch what I'm about to say, struggle to love a certain person or even a race of people. Christians. So Jeff, how is that even possible? Check yourself. Christians struggle to love a person. And some Christians have such a blind spot and they spend so little time in the Word of God letting it become their worldview and the way they see the world and the way they see people. Literally, in their heart, 
And they may not even know it, may not admit it, but their words give them away. Whole races of people, they lack love for them. How? We have a base. I had to turn to Philippians because I believe of all of Paul's churches that he started, we looked at this on a Wednesday night a couple of months ago, I believe the Philippian church was the most loving church of Paul's churches. That's my opinion. I believe it was his favorite church. You say, Jeff, why do you think they were the most loving church? Because they were, Antioch church sent Paul out, but he was one of their pastors. The Philippian church is a missionary church that as Paul kept moving on, the, the Philippians started sending money to Paul to fund his missionary journeys. That's a sign of their love. I mean, it wasn't fake. It's like they, he didn't ask. They just sent money thought you might need it. It came once and twice. Just while he's in Thessalonica, they keep sending money. And Paul's like, man, that's awesome. That's a great sign. They hear that there are poor Gentiles. They're, they're, they're Gentiles. They hear they're poor Jews back in Jerusalem. They're Christians. And they take up money. The Bible says out of their deep poverty. They are like broke. And yet they take what they don't even have hardly, can't afford. And they send it to those Jewish Christians. Why? Never met them, but we love them. So that's Philippian church, right? Yes, awesome church. I believe Paul's favorite. Look what he says in verse 9. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. I'm not reading the other two verses. Paul says, I'm praying for you, Philippians. You want to know what I'm praying? What are you praying, Paul? Watch, grace for you. Your love, you have it. That's good, right? That's good. You guys love. But I'm praying that your love will abound. You have love. I think Paul would say, you probably love any, more than any of my other churches. You know what my specific prayer for you is? That the love you already have will abound. Okay, abound. Got it, Paul. No, 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 you don't get it. I'm praying your love will abound more. Oh, abound more. Got it. No, 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 you don't get it. God, picture Paul on his knees. God, the Philippians, they have love. Let it grow and abound more and more and more and more. Let them be the most loving church it's ever been. Pour it on those Philippians. Pour it out of those Philippians. Lord, give them more love. You say, Jeff, if we don't have love, what's the plan? If I'm struggling with this message, what's the plan? I got to tell you, I think like three or four things, maybe four, watch. Here's where it starts. God, I am lacking love. God, it's commanded. I owe it. It fulfills the law. I love me. I don't even see others. I just described several people right here in the room. I just described you, and here's what we have to do. That's the start here. God, I'm acknowledging, I'm confessing my lack of love. But the second thing, based on Philippians 1.9, is this. God, I'm literally asking you by faith. You said if we'll ask according to your will and praying faith, you'll give it. I expect this, God. I want you to grow my love. You say, Jeff, how do you get more love? You confess you don't have it. Ask God for it. The verse talks about knowing you'll grow in knowledge. Start learning and spending time with God. And then while you're doing that, asking for it, acknowledge you don't have it, expect God to do it, spend time with God, get to know Him, let Him rub off on you, and then surrender to the Holy Spirit and you'll find yourself starting to love people. Hear this prayer and I'm, I'm, I'm going to have you close your eyes after this. A man came to Jesus. You know what he said? I believe. Remember that? I believe. What was the second part? What's the second thing he said? Help thou my unbelief. I believe. Is there anybody in this room this morning that needs to join me in saying this confession to God? God, I do love. Help my lack of love. Is that anybody in here or is it just the preacher? You ever done this? God, I do love. Thank you for that evidence. Would you please help my lack of love? God, please help my lack of love. Have you ever supplicated, acknowledged and confessed, Lord, please, I believe Philippians 1.9 is the key. And then surrender and let the Holy Spirit, and all of a sudden you find yourself thinking, feeling, acting totally different. Would you bow your heads for a moment? Not a come forward type invitation. 